Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Well, as you know, we are journeying through the Bible this year. We uh, will finish the Bible this year. I don't know how much we'll end up covering because uh, it seems like I always want to keep holding back. I want to stay here. I want to keep talking more about this and more about this. And so it's hard to move forward. And if we don't move forward soon, then, then we'll end up not having time to cover a lot more of the New Testament. So, But we are still in the Gospels. We are still um, at the point where we're talking about Jesus. And, and uh, today we are having communion, which I'm excited about. Um, but before that, we're, I'm preaching a sermon on the parable of the sower. And this can be found in uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke. Um, but uh, we're going to be uh, mainly in, in Matthew chapter 13, if you want to flip there in your scriptures together. Let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. I say it often. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. Father, that you revealed yourself to us through the prophets and that the the that it was written down in the Holy Scriptures that we can have, that we can read, that we can study. And there's so much of it. You know, it, it daunts people sometimes that the Bible is so large. They think, oh, I could never read all of that and understand it. But Father, we're, we're glad that you gave us so much because as we come to love you and grow in you, Father, we want more. We want to know more about you. We want to grow closer to you. And we're thankful that you didn't just give us one little snippet, but that you, you gave us a huge, huge amount of, 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 of revelation about who you are and who we are. And so, Father, I pray that as disciples that we would study it for the rest of our lives, that we would continue to dig into it. And, and Father, it's deep enough that we'll never get all of it and that every time we read it for the rest of our lives, we'll still continue to, to grow more in you and grow more in our understanding of who you are and who we are. And so, Father, we are so thankful for that. But, Father, we are most thankful that you sent your Son to give his life on the cross for our sins as our punishment to take our place so that through faith in his name that we could be forgiven of sins and be restored to a relationship with you like it was in the beginning with Adam and Eve and that we could live with you forever and, and that we could enjoy life the way you meant it to be with no pain and no suffering and no, no death. Father, we love you and we look forward to, to coming into your kingdom fully, to be embraced by you, to be held by you when we leave this place. Or, or if you come in the clouds before then. But Father, until then, while we're here, Father, give us strength. Encourage us, lift us up, because life is hard. Life is difficult. Father, be with us uh, to help us to, 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 to know your presence, to feel your presence, to grow closer to you, to share that love with others. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I'm going to say before we get started, this parable is, uh, I guess it can be taken different ways by different people. Um, some people think it means one way. Some people interpret it to mean another. But thankfully for us, Jesus himself actually did interpret this parable for us. Now, there are different views on what the different types of soil, who does that include, are these people saved? Are these people not saved in this soil? Are the people in this soil saved or not saved? I have my own feeling about it, the one I'm going to share with you today. I'm going to preach to you, and I'm, I'm going to share why I feel that way about it. But I just want to give as a, as a um, heads up before I say it that there are people who, who differ in this, and I do feel like they have room to differ 
Um, there's some things in the Bible that you can take a different view from somebody else and it still be okay. We can get along with our brothers and sisters who are Methodists or Presbyterians or, or Pentecostal. We can get along with them because they still preach Jesus' cross crucified and that faith in his name is the only way of salvation. And it's okay for brothers and sisters in Christ to, to hold different views on certain passages as long as we are staying faithful to him and staying faithful to the scriptures. And I don't believe that anybody should read the scriptures, be convicted that it means one thing, be told by somebody else it means something else. I don't believe that you should just say, okay, well, such and such pastor told me or such and such person with a degree told me, therefore, I must believe what they say. That's not how I live my life. And I, and I hope that's not how you're going to live yours because you're going to stand on the day of judgment by yourself. I'm not going to be there. Your, your friends are not going to be there. You have to stand and account to God saying that I read your word, God. This is what you said. I'm convinced that this is what it meant, but yet I didn't live that way. And, and I don't think anybody should live that way. Um, so, but I'm going to show you why I believe this means what it means. So let's, let's dive right in. Matthew 13, 1 through 23. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came out, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. Then the disciples came up and asked him, Why are you speaking to them in parables? He answered, Because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know but it has not been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That is why I speak to them in parables. Because looking, they do not see, and hearing, they do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, you will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back, and I would heal them. Blessed are your eyes because they do see, and your ears because they do hear. For truly I tell you, Many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see, but didn't see them. To hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground... This is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. 
Now the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. I know that was a lot. But I believe the more scripture you read, the better the sermon is, honestly, because that's God speaking instead of me. If you plant wheat, which is what the idea of what they're talking about here. If you plant wheat, and I know if I plant wheat, I know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to be that first soil, probably. I definitely won't make it to the fourth. But if you plant wheat and it grows up in your field and it doesn't produce any fruit, what good is it? It's not any good. If you're trying to bake bread and, and, and grow wheat, if it, if it does um, grow, but the, it gets choked out so that it doesn't produce fruit, same, same dilemma. No fruit, it's no good. You can't eat it. Can you eat it? Can't eat it. Can you use it to plant more wheat in the future? Not if it didn't produce fruit and seeds. It's, it's, it's no good. It's no different than a weed. Matthew thirteen twenty four through 30 said he presented another parable to them, talking about weeds and wheat. said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plant sprouted and produced grain, the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go? And pull them up, the servants asked him. No, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. Now you see, Jesus told the parable of the soils, and then he told a parable about weeds and and wheat growing together. And that, you can recognize that there's weeds along with wheat, but he asked, but the but the workers asked, should we go out and try to get rid of get rid of the weeds? And he said, no, 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 I'll do that. I'll do that at the end. I'll send out and separate them, and at the end, those that are weeds will be tossed to be burned because they're not wheat. It's not good for anything. Now Jesus tied these parables together, and I don't believe there was any accident and him tying these parables together. He talks about four different types of soil, and then he talks about those that are growing together, but we shouldn't try to separate, that God himself will separate out. So let's break it down. The first type of soil Jesus explained was those who just did not accept the gospel. The, the seed tossed on the hard path that didn't go into the ground, the, the, the seeds never sank into the ground, the birds came and ate up and they were gone. Those are people that when you tell the gospel to them, they reject it, is what Jesus said. They reject it outright. Then he said, we all, we know, we don't, don't have to have much explaining about that. We all understand that. If you've ever went out and shared the gospel with people, if you've ever had conversations with people, you know some people 
It doesn't matter. You tell them the gospel. You tell them the truth. And they reject it. They don't, they don't want it. And so we're all familiar with that. The second type of soil, he said, are those who are not willing to suffer. He said, those are the ones, he said, that accept it at first with joy. With joy. They embrace the gospel with joy. But then, when persecution comes, they quickly fall away because they have no root in themselves. Those are people who come in to begin with, they look like wheat, they look like they're producing fruit, they look like they're truly good soil, good, good seeds. But what happens is, as soon as persecution comes, as soon as they have to suffer for being a follower of Christ, they're out. They're done. They're gone. And that is the second type of soil. That's what we're going to talk a lot about in this sermon today. It's called the perseverance of the saints. That those who are saved will persevere to the end. And that's what we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about. But the third type was those who are not willing to repent. Those who are not willing to turn from sin. It said that the, the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of this world, they grow up around the weeds and they choke it, and it, it does not produce fruit. And then the fourth is the good soil that goes on and produces 160 and 30 times what was sown. So Jesus tells a parable that when you share the gospel message with people, you're going to have four groups of people. People that are going to outright reject it, People are there going to say, yeah, that sounds great to me. I'm on board, but they're not willing to suffer for Christ, so they're out. Those who are, jump on and say, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, I'm good, but they're not willing to turn from sin. They're not willing to repent. And then the fourth, which is those who are willing to suffer and repent of sin for their Savior. Let's look at this idea of persevering to the end. Jesus said, Matthew 10, 33, Whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. You know, I had a guy come up to me and tell me, um, I don't want to go into too many details, but I was with a group of people. They asked who, would, who, who, who will give their life to Christ with everybody's head bowed. One person raised their hand. And then when he told everybody to open their eyes, everybody who gave their life to Christ, please stand up and come forward. And they didn't. They were afraid to. And then one of the leaders at that place came up to me as the, later and said, you need to tell that person that if you deny Christ before others, he will deny you before his father. He's just on it. And I mean, I, I get what he was saying. But, that person did a little bit later come to give their faith to Christ and announce it to everybody and get baptized and be saved. We have to be patient with people. We have to understand that we can tell them the message and we can give them the message the best way we can with as much love as we can. Tell them the gospel. If you didn't tell them the gospel, then you need to go back and tell them the gospel. If you weren't clear, you need to go back and be clear. But we don't get to control how people respond. I know that some people are just not ready yet. And some people never will be. And it's a heartbreaking thing. But all we can do is share the gospel and pray. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who actually does the saving. Not my, whether I gave a good enough, a persuasive enough message or whether I, I was 
you know, strong enough or forceful enough about it. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. As long as I gave a clear message, then I leave it up to him to do the rest. My job is to give a clear message. So this group focuses on the idea of perseverance of the saints. What it means is if you've been born again, then you will never fall away from the faith until you die. That's what it means. If you are a saint, you will persevere. And that is what it means. If you walk away from Jesus before you die, if you abandon the faith before you die, then what that means is, and there's lots of different views on this, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. What that means is you were never born again. It doesn't mean you were born again, you were saved, you, 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 you were changed by the Holy Spirit, you were regenerated, and then later you abandoned your faith and lost your salvation. That's not what it means. It means you never were born again to begin with. And uh, there's many reasons why I believe that. Um, John 10, 27 to 29, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. What, do they, what does Jesus give them? Eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So what he's saying is, if you are saved, you will always be saved. That's what in the Baptist we talk about uh, eternal security. Where once you are saved, you will always be saved. You, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this, In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. This is the idea of someone hears the gospel and believes and sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. 1 Peter 1.5, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in, his, in the last time. You're being guarded by His power for a salvation ready to be revealed. John 8.31 and 32 says this, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. What's the condition? If you continue. This idea of not, not abandoning, not giving up. Now when he said this, and I'll go ahead and read verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Everybody's familiar with that verse. When he said this, if you continue, he's talking to Jews who are about to experience great persecution for being followers of him. So he's calling people to follow him, but he knows once they decide to follow him, they will experience persecution. They were killed, they were, they were stoned, they were thrown out of the synagogues, they were ostracized from their families. He knew what he was calling them to. And so he said, if you continue. He goes on. He said, you will be hated by everyone because of my name. Jesus said this. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Who will be saved? The one who endures to the end. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said to those who were deciding to follow him, and it was going to be hard, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And you say, well, well does that mean that I can be saved and then get in a life and death situation and then deny Christ and then lose my salvation? No, it can't. 
once you're saved, you cannot be unsaved, okay? But if someone decides to walk away from the faith and say, you know what, I'm not willing to suffer from Christ, and I'm not willing to turn from sins for Him to be my Lord. If you have made either of those decisions, you have decided you're not His disciple. And if you're not His disciple, it means you never were. You never did have the Holy Spirit. You never were changed by Him. You didn't, because if you had the Holy Spirit who changes you, I can speak firsthand. Most everybody in this room, I'm sure, can speak firsthand. When the Holy Spirit changes you, now you're willing to stand up for Christ. Now you're willing to, to, to hold on to Him and never give up on Him where you weren't before. He changed you. That's the Holy Spirit of God in you who holds you and seals you. And that's why we have so many Christians who have gone before us, who have given their life, who have died for for, for their faith in Christ in order to get the message to us so that we can be saved. We are saved as a direct result of those who gave their life, were willing to be persecuted, and were willing to turn from sin. That's how the gospel got to us. Colossians 1, 22 to 23. But now... He has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you faultless and blameless before him. Who is this a description of? Someone who's what? Saved, right? If you are reconciled to God through the death of Christ so that Christ can present you before God as holy, faultless, and blameless, that is the definition of someone who has went from death to life, bought by the blood of Christ, saved. He says, you have, now he has reconciled you if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So he gives you an encouragement. You are saved if you remain grounded and steadfast in your faith are not shifted away from that saving message. He he makes no bones about saying it. You are saved if you remain steadfast to your faith. Who's going to remain steadfast to the faith the rest of their life? Those who have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you don't remain steadfast and grounded in your faith and you do shift away from the gospel, what does that say about you? It means you never had the Holy Spirit. It means you never were saved to begin with. And why do I keep coming back to that? Because you can say, well, you know what, John? The way that this sounds to me is that you can be saved and then you can be lost. That's exactly the way it sounds to me. No, 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 wait. Scripture defines Scripture. Scripture teaches about Scripture. He goes on. The gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. For... Hebrews 3.14, For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Now, I want to just say one thing. What about those who, for medical reasons, their brain becomes deteriorated, Alzheimer's and dementia, things like this, and they seem to just completely walk away from the faith? That's where I go back to the verse that Jesus was talking about, saying no one can snatch you out of my hands. Because coming into faith is a personal decision. You can't come into faith because your parents are saved. You can't come into faith because your grandparents are saved. You have to make that personal decision. And God honors that decision of faith. You're saved through faith, by faith, your faith. 
That's the decision he honors. We live in a world full of sin and death and decay and Alzheimer's and dementia and things like that. That is a form of death of cells. That's a form of decay of the brain. There's lots of different things that can happen. You think God doesn't know that? You think God's not fully aware of that? God knows exactly who you are, what decision you made, and, and, and whether you meant it or not. And so I just want to give an encouragement because we've, every one of us, there's not a person here who hasn't had somebody they know affected by Alzheimer's. I just want to give you that as an encouragement to know that, yeah, I believe, I believe that does not affect whether or not you hold fast to the end. But let's go on. Paul said, can you believe in vain or believe? Paul said, you can believe in vain or for no purpose. He said, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. What did he preach? The gospel. That is what they received. That's what they've taken their stand on. And that is by which what they are being saved by. The gospel by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, meaning believe for no purpose. That's what in vain means, for no purpose. Unless you believe for no purpose. Who can believe for no purpose? Jesus said, the second, the second soul, those who accepted the message with joy, he said. They accepted it with joy. But when persecution came, they abandoned the faith. They apostatized. They walked away. You must hold to the gospel. You can't give up or walk away from it. So why do I believe that if you walked away from the faith, you didn't actually lose your salvation? Because of 1 John. 1 John 2.19. John said this about members of the church who walked away from the faith. This is what he said. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. There's gospel-inspired scripture right there to explain what happens if somebody's among us. They were, they, they were among the members of the church. They had membership. They were, they, they, everybody thought that they were saved. Everybody thought that they were believers. What happens when they abandon the faith or walk away and, 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 and start following a false gospel? He said right here, they went out so that because they did not actually belong to us, Because if they actually did belong to us, if they really were members of the body of Christ, they would have remained with us. So why am I so adamant that if you are saved, you will stay saved? Because that's what God said right here in the scriptures. If you really are a member of the body of Christ, you will remain a member of the body of Christ. You won't walk away from the faith because if you do, then that tells me that it is clear that you did not belong to us. It's not a you were saved and lost. John said it means you were never saved. That's what it means. Because when the Holy Spirit comes to work in you and changes you, He changes you. It's not just you trying to, trying to be in God's favor. It's not you trying to live a good life so that God is happy with you so that you'll go to heaven when you die. It's not based on you're trying to be good and do a lot of work. It's that He changed you. He changed your heart. He changed your desire. He changed who you are. And you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And He will remain to change you more to be like His likeness the rest of your life. So can you be a member of the church and be lost? It's a 
trick question. You can't be a member of the church because to be a member of the church, the body of Christ, means you are saved. But you can be a member of the local church. You can be a member of Yatesville Baptist Church and you can be lost. And the Bible gives us nonstop warnings. This is how you can know you're saved. This is how you can know you're saved. First John, the same thing where John just said this about those who are lost, who went away and they were never saved in the same book. There's no accident. He goes on to talk throughout this book about how can you know if someone's saved? Because that was a big issue right there in chapter one. The big issue, people left the church. We thought they were saved, but now we see they're not. So he writes this long letter explaining to people how you can be sure that you're saved. And near the end of the letter, uh, 1 John 5, 13, he goes on to say, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of Son of God, Jesus, so that you may know that you are saved. He said, I've written this letter to you so that you may know you're saved. He's writing to the people who stayed behind in the church, who saw the people leave the church, They were remaining in the church, and now they're wondering, how can I know if I'm saved? And he said, I've written written all these things so you may know you're saved. What did he write? Everything he wrote over and over and over and over and over again was, look at your life. Examine your life. Are you producing fruit? What does it mean to produce fruit? It means to do good works. Are you doing good works? In other words, have you turned from sin? Have you made a commitment to turn from sin? Because it's a, it's, a, it's a heresy, it's a false belief to take Jesus' message and the apostles' message to repent and believe and to say, you know what? If I tell people they can, all they have to do is believe, I can get a lot of people to, to, to say they're saved. But if I, the moment I tell them they have to turn from sin, that they have to repent, that's when most people start leaving, going somewhere else and don't want to hear what I got to say. The problem is when we say, okay, well, we can just take out repentance and yet we can still have a full gospel and everybody that comes in will be saved. That's not true. What happens is you have a church full of wheat and weeds. You have a church full of people who are saved and people who are not saved because they're not willing to be persecuted and they're not willing to turn from sin or they're not and or they're not willing to turn from sin. The biggest thing that gets most people why they won't come to Christ, the biggest thing is that God commands them to turn from sin. And most people don't want to do that. And they don't want to be told that they're sinning. They don't. That's why you have so many share the gospel with people, and that's why some of them, when I share the gospel with people, I get typically two responses. Typically. I've gotten all kinds of responses. But typically, I get two responses. I will share the gospel with them. I will, t- I, will, I will tell them that they must repent and believe. Make it as clear as I can be. Typically, these are the two responses. One, they don't want to repent, and so they say, you know what? Not for me. Not going to do it. And they have a million different reasons. They don't want it. And they get angry. Why do they get angry? Because nobody wants to be told that they're sinning and that they have to stop. They get angry. The other typical response is they look at me because they've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. They've already decided they know that what God said is right. And they look at me and say, I know. You're right. Something along those lines. They either reject the message and they're angry 
or they accept the message and they're humbled. That's typically the two responses I get. What makes them angry? What Jesus told them. You got to turn from sin. That's generally what makes people angry. You can have a church full of saved and unsaved and really have a hard time knowing the difference. And be honest. And that's why Jesus, I believe, that's why Jesus said in the very next parable, after he said, hey, this is what it looks like to be a disciple and those who are not willing to be a disciple, right after that, he goes on to say, and by the way, the church is full of those who are real disciples and those who are not. And I don't want you to try to run off the ones that you think are not. I don't want you to run them off. And so I don't think you're a disciple. So until you can prove to me that you are a disciple, you're not welcome here. Jesus said, no, 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 no. You don't do the, the separating. I'll do the separating because only Jesus really knows someone's heart. It's hard for us to really know. Look at Judas. Judas, when Jesus at the Last Supper, which we're going to have our communion here real quick, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, one of you is the devil. I mean, he didn't, he didn't make any bones about it. He said, one of you is the devil and is going to betray me. And the scripture says that all the disciples looked at themselves wondering if it was them. It did not say, and all the disciples looked at Judas. You ever thought about that? That's what the scripture says. They didn't know Judas was the lost one. They didn't just say, oh yeah, I knew it all along. And Peter pulled out his sword and go after Judas to take him down. Because he would have if that's what the case, if, if he'd have known. They didn't know. Because Judas fit, fit the total description of being a genuine disciple. Only Jesus knew. And that's why it's only up to Jesus to really make that separation at the end. But can they be among us? Absolutely. That's why everyone here must examine themselves, must ask themselves, do I fit the description Jesus described as a disciple? Am I willing to be persecuted and have I made a decision to turn from sin? Yes or no? Because if you can't say yes to those, then the scripture, Jesus, doesn't give you confidence that you're saved. You can't find that confidence here if you have to look at what Jesus said, this is a disciple, and say, you know what? No, I'm not willing to be that. And so I want to clarify real quick, and we probably won't get to the rest of this. I might. We'll see. I do want to clarify what I mean when I say repent, because that's crucial to this message. When I say repent from sin, what do I mean? I do not mean simply Asking forgiveness. That's not what I mean. Where every day I sin and I have to repent. And if I didn't repent today, it doesn't matter how many times I repented of my sins in the past. If I didn't repent for my sin today, now suddenly I don't know if I'm saved anymore. That's not what I mean. The scripture is clear. You repent of sin, singular, sin, the whole realm of it. You Repent means to turn from. You make a decision, I'm going to turn from sin because that is what God has called me to do because he said, that's why I'm lost. Sin is why I'm in trouble. No one's going to go to heaven on the last day and him say, you are going to go to hell. You're not going to enter heaven because you were born in Yatesville. He'll never have that conversation. 
He'll never say, you, I never knew you, depart from me, you lawbreaker, because you have blue eyes, or you have whatever color skin, or you have yada, 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 yada. There's only one reason the Bible gives that every one of us is destined for hell. Sin. Sin is the reason why we are all in trouble. And so what has God done? He's offered us forgiveness and grace. And he said in that offer, what I'm asking you to do is turn from the one thing that got you in this mess and the one reason I had to send my son to die. Sin. It's a one-time commitment of I'm going to turn from sin to God. And trust, that's what faith is, belief, trust. And trust that he's going to save me because I know I can't do it. I can't live a good enough life the rest of my life. I can't live a perfect life the rest of my life. I know I can't do it and I'm just going to trust that he's going to save me. That's what it means to repent. It's a decision you have to make once in your life and mean it. That's what repent is. When I walk down, no, man, I'm in trouble. When I showed up to my wedding and I made that commitment to my wife that I would love her the rest of my life, she does not have to make me remake that commitment every day. I meant it one time. We're married. Now, if I sin against my wife, which I'm not perfect, but if I sin against my wife, are we no longer married? No, we're still married. That's what God has offered to us. A covenant relationship that if you would make that commitment to turn from sin and believe in me and trust me for salvation alone, I will forgive you of your sins and we will be married the rest of your life. That's what, he, that's what he's offering. So it's, have you made that decision? Do you trust him alone? Have you made the decision that I'm willing to suffer for you no matter what? God, I'm willing to stick with you. I'm willing to suffer for you. And I'm willing to turn from sin for you. And I'm going to need your help to do it. I'm going to need you to help me do it because I'm not good at it. I'm not good at turning from sin. I'm not good at, at being persecuted. I'm not good at these things. But you're worth it, God. You're worth it. And so that's what I want. I want you, regardless of the cost. And so I will pick up my cross, consider myself dead, be, be willing to carry my persecution around, I will pick up the cross and follow you and die to myself every day. That's what he's asked. And he knows, unlike us, he knows if you meant it or not. So when someone comes down this aisle or out in, when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody or, or whatever the situation may be, when someone comes to me and tells me that they believe and they want to be saved and they want to turn from sin, I hope they meant it. And I'm going to take their word on it. I am. I'm going to absolutely take their word on it. But I don't know if they meant it or not. But God does. That's why you can have people in the church who are not really saved because God never gave His Holy Spirit to them because they never meant it. He knew they never meant it. He knew it. 
That's how you can end up with this situation. That the church can have those who are saved and those who aren't, who seem to be saved for a long time, but then really turns out they're not at the end because they never meant it all along and God knew it and he never gave them the Holy Spirit. They never were born again. They never were saved. Does that make sense? I hope my message was clear. There's lots more examples. Um, If you don't have a bulletin, I'd ask you to to grab your bulletin on the way out. I'm just going to flip through real quick. Paul talks about those who had infiltrated their ranks who they thought were saved but were not. Um, Paul goes on to talk about he faced all these different dangers. The last thing he said is he faced dangers among false brothers, those who they believed were brothers but really weren't. He faced dangers from those. Uh, Matthew seven twenty one to 23, one of the most uh, frightening passages of Scripture when Jesus said that people will look at him on the last day and call him Lord. They'll say, Lord, 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 Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Why? Because they never were willing to turn from sin. He calls them at the end lawbreakers, sinners. That's what he calls them, sinners. They were never willing to turn from sin. They weren't willing to be that, get past that third soul. And then from Luke's perspective, he tells the, the same thing again. Um, so we're just going to skip on here. The author of Hebrews warns us. Y'all have never read so fast in your life, have you? Hebrews 6, 4 through 8. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. And it goes on and on, and it talks about... um, You can know people by their fruit. And he goes on to describe fruit. And those that are cultivated receive a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed. And in the end, will be burned. Those among, there are, will be those among us who we believe are saved or not. Who in the end will not be saved on the last day. And I don't want that to be true for a single soul that ever comes in these doors. It It might be true for churches down the street, but I don't want it to ever be true for this church right here. And so I'm going to plead with you. I'm going to beg with you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to do anything I can to have you examine yourself and ask yourself, have I committed my life to Jesus as my Lord, my master? Because that's what Lord means. Am I willing to turn from sin and submit myself to him? And if you haven't, you can do that right now. Right now. You don't have to do anything special. You don't have to go through a class. You don't have to do anything. You just right now tell God, you know what? I don't think I ever did make a decision to turn from sin. I thought that was optional. And I like my sin, so I was never willing to give it up. But you have told me to turn from sin. You have described to me that's what a disciple is. And I want to be a disciple. I want to spend my life with you. I want to be saved. And if that's what you've asked me to do, then I am willing to do that. God, I'm willing to turn from sin. I trust you. Save me. And if you mean it, God knows it. And you will be saved from here throughout eternity. You can't lose your salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, your message is clear. You went through great lengths to be clear about your message. 
Your message is, is full from beginning to end. That sin is the reason that we're separated from you and you've called us to turn from it. That we would place our faith in you and trust you for our salvation because we know we can't earn it. And so, Father, I pray that if there's a single person in this room who has never made that decision to say, I will turn from sin and follow you the rest of my life and trust you to save me. I will place my faith and trust in you alone for my salvation. Then, Father, I pray that they do that right this second, that they would say to God, say to you, Father, right now, Father, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins and save me. Change me. Make me into a new creation. And Father, I am willing to follow you the rest of my life through persecution and turn from all the, this world has to offer because there is nothing this world has to offer me that is greater than you. Father, it's going to be hard and I'm not going to do a good job at it, but I need you to help me. And I mean it. And Father, I pray, I, I, I just, I want anybody who's prayed that prayer for the first time to know that they can have confidence right now that they really are saved that it's a one-time deal, that they will receive your Holy Spirit who will change them. And Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you. We pray and ask these things in your name. Amen.